On the western side of this cathedral, there's a beautiful lawn. And every day, morning, afternoon, at night, you can see people out there walking around, enjoying a park bench, and more often than not, walking their dog. And it's a beautiful space, very inviting for the neighborhood in particular. Earlier this fall, the communications director for the diocese put up a sign in that yard, and it was a chalkboard. It had plenty of colored chalk, and it had one thing written at the top of it. It said, I wish this church would. Now, he did that with our permission, thankfully. And it's because it's in part, I mean, it's an interesting experiment. It's also a risky experiment because it's kind of like letting the shepherd speak extemporaneously at the manger. The responses were were fascinating. Some of them, of course, were prescriptive, telling us what we should do, um, offer free parking. (laughs) I wish this church would provide doggy bags. Fair enough. Some responses revealed how little people know, through no fault of their own, about the Episcopal Church. One said, I wish this church would have my gay wedding. And I wanted to say, we will. As long as one of you is a Christian, you both agree to premarital counseling, and you both understand the sacramental nature of marriage, we're ready. One was, I wish this church would have more gargoyles. (laughs) There really, there are a few, but only a few. The one that really got my attention was written in pink chalk. And it said, I wish this church could prove that God exists. Christmas doesn't, of course, prove that God exists. But Christmas may concern something deeper and more compelling than proof. God hears you. God hears you. Maybe one of the most important meanings of these images and stories that we hear and feel each year on this night. God hears you who are like the shepherds on the periphery of religious meaning. People who are surprising to show up at a birth like this. But yet people who are mysteriously drawn to Christ's tenderness and grace. God hears you who are like Joseph, quiet, pragmatic, Faithful, faithful indeed, if not in word, God hears you. God hears you if you are like Mary, courageous and questioning and so imaginative that you believe that that angel that no one can see is speaking to you. God hears you if you can't find room in the inn. God hears you if you're homeless. God hears you 
and feels you if you can't find a job in this thriving, apparently thriving economy. God hears you if you can't find that safe place where you need to thrive. And God hears the sheep and the stars and the angels and the entire cosmos, which we now know is bigger and more expansive than anyone ever, ever imagined. There's an incredible creed in the back of the prayer book. It's, it's really old and it's kind of antique and it's very wordy, so we don't use it much. It's called the Athanasian Creed. And there's this one line in that old creed that I think just summarizes. It's the clearest, simplest sentence ever about what Christmas is about. This union of divinity and humanity in Christ. And it says that God meets humanity and comes into our hearts and stories and lives. And we become one. One, not by the conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but one by the taking of all of humanity into God. That's the manger scene. That's why the shepherds and the sheep and God only knows who else shows up this night. Now the baby, Christ, doesn't say any of that. Because Christ is a baby, right? And Christ is a baby making all of those normal baby noises, but not yet speaking. And the way Luke portrays it, there's this inviting silence when that baby finally sleeps. This inviting silence that draws people to this child and to this manger. And what's fascinating, and it's where you've got to continue with the story to see how it plays out, that inviting silence that's true at the manger becomes a characteristic that stays with Jesus the older and older he gets. So he gets older and he talks a lot. He's like his mother because she's a bold teacher herself. And he becomes this rabbi. And what's most poignant about his teachings are perhaps not his answers, but his questions. Jesus, just follow the Gospels, Jesus asked the best questions. And they're followed, just like when he was a baby, by this inviting silence, because Christ wants to hear what we have to say. For example, when Christ meets in Luke's Gospel the blind man, Bartimaeus, they have this interchange and Jesus says to him, the disciples want to rush him off and get Jesus out of there. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And there's this inviting silence where Bartimaeus responds. Later on, when the disciples are wearied and worried about feeding thousands of people, Jesus asks them, how many loaves do you have? And there's this inviting silence when they answer. In John's gospel, when Martha is devastated and grieving at the death of her beloved brother, Jesus looks her in the eyes and says, do you believe in resurrection? And he waits for her to answer. When the risen Christ comes back from the dead and he appears mysteriously and these two companions are walking back home, 
to their village home, on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus comes up alongside them and says, Hey, what are you talking about? He didn't say the hey part. I ad-libbed that. But he did say, what are you talking about? And he waits for them to respond. It's often said that a lawyer in a courtroom never asks a question that he or she does not already know the answer to. Jesus is just the opposite. He asks these questions that he does not know the answer to, apparently because he wants to hear what we're going to say. What's in the depths of our hearts, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The afternoon services, so we, we had a 1 p.m., a 3 p.m., and a 5 p.m. And they're basically, it's, it's the godly play Eucharist, which is largely for young families and children. It's gorgeous. But it's basically St. John's version of a Christmas pageant. And last week, you would sign up if you're going to have a part and bring one of the characters forward to the creche. And there was a rehearsal um, for you. And the leader of the pageant gathered everybody at the start of the night. And there were about 20 kids there. And she said to them all, she said, okay, this is the kind of thing Jesus would ask. Why are we here? And this one little girl immediately showed her remarkable vocabulary when she answered loudly, we're building the diorama. (laughs) I laughed and I thought about how, you know, Episcopalians, we love to use very fancy words like narthex for what the rest of the world calls the entrance. We're building the diorama. A diorama is, of course, a three-dimensional representation of a people or a place or something. And that, philosophically, is not a bad definition. Especially if we see each and every one of us is a part of that diorama, is drawn into that manger scene, the taking of all of humanity into God. Christmas is about something so much more profound than proof that God exists. Christmas may be at its heart about desire a desire that's often buried deep in our hearts and bones, that if God does exist, that would God please, please, please be like this. Be Christ-like. It's the feeling, it's the feeling that we really have something very, very personal to say. And if we reach down deep, And say it with every fiber of our being. God will hear us.